Greetings ladies and managers, and welcome to this latest video for Retreat Hell, taken from the subreddit HFY. The link to the original is down below, and if you enjoy the story, head over there and let the author know. If you wish to support this channel, there are many ways to do so, also, strangely enough, listed down below. Don't forget to subscribe, or we'll have a platoon of angry cat-like creatures attacking you in your sleep. Anyways, on to the sci-fi. Chapter 17, Part 4 She broke a lot of rules, Brackus said, pulling one of the chairs in front of Michael's desk around to face everyone and taking a seat. She did it for the right reasons, Rickle said. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, Spader said. Good reasons doesn't excuse fanking up. She did save Ayat's life, Winter said, sitting on the corner of Michael's desk. If she had followed all of our rules, he'd be dead, she frowned. I'd say there's a good chance that Anyo would have even gotten away with it, scot-free too. She could have handled how she interacted with Leshen better, Mayer said. Probably didn't need to threaten to shoot the man, he sighed. And while catching Anyo in the act was good, nearly beating to death was not. Katri nodded. Good initiative, bad judgment. If this were a combat action, we'd be pinning another medal on her, Rickles said, leaning against the wall. But this wasn't combat action, Spader said. But she took the initiative and direct action to save a yacht, Rackus said. We should be happy to get a half of our range to show half of the initiative she did on Sunday. As Catry said, he nodded at the first sergeant. Good initiative, bad judgment. Catry nodded in return. She's a brand new sergeant put in a crappy situation. That wouldn't leave any of us with many good choices. She made some bad calls, but ain't nobody died. If we drummed out every marine that fecked up, ain't none of us would be standing yet today. And if we had all fecked up like this, none of us would be standing here today either, Mayor said. Barankas and Catri exchanged glances, and Spader suppressed a sigh. Your official recommendations, Michael said. They each gave them in turn. He nodded, then sighed. Well, that matches with everything I'm getting from on high. The door opened. Sergeant Bradford, Rickles, leaned out of the door far enough to look at her. Back in here. She snapped to attention, then turned and marched back into the office, determined to face a doom with dignity. She shut the door behind her and returned to her post in front of Michaels' desk. Her superiors faced her in two rows on either side of Michaels' desk. Sergeant Bradford, Michaels said, his hands folded in front of him again. It is my decision, based on input from your immediate superiors and all levels above me, up to and including the President himself, do not recommend you for court-martial. It is also my decision to not subject you to non-judicial punishment for this incident. She blinked. What the? What? Her head spun as weight seemed to lift from her shoulders. Gentlemen, Major, thank you for your input. That is all. May I, sir? They all chorused and started filing out of the room. Bradford lifted her right foot, preparing to about face. You are not dismissed, Sergeant. I, sir. She snapped her foot back in place. The last of her chain of command fled out, shutting the door behind them. Michael stared at her as she stood at attention, the seconds ticking by. Once again, she struggled not to squirm under his gaze. Finally, after an eternity, he sighed, leaning back in his chair. Have a seat, Sergeant, 
he said, gesturing at one of the two chairs in front of his desk. They were cheap affairs, like you might see in a doctor's waiting room, but they were cushioned and had armrests. Cautiously, she stepped to her right and sat down as Michaels picked up the folder out the corner of his desk. Opening it, he placed it in front of him. I'm required, Sergeant, to give you this. He pulled out a plain blue folder and handed it to her. She took it, opened it, and scanned the formal document. Non-punitive letter of caution was printed in stark, bold letters on top. The body of the letter described the events that transpired on Sunday in an unforgiving light. Abandoned her liberty partner. Unlawfully commandeered armed marines from their assigned post. Radically exceeded her authority. Brash and reckless behavior. Discharged a misappropriated firearm. Major diplomatic incident that culminated in her assaulting an Allied Commission officer. For actions and behavior in the above listed incident, Sergeant Bradford is formally reprimanded. Signed, Henry A. Michaels, Lieutenant Colonel. Commander, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marine Regiment. Sir, Bradford said, staring at the bottom of the paper as his stomach dropped through the floor. She sagged as the weight crashed back down on the soldiers. This is the end of my career. I'm finished. It would be, Sergeant, if not for this. He handed her another folder. The sheet of paper in this one contained was embossed and printed in a more flourished font. She took the folder and opened it. Raising it over the letter of reprimand, she noticed that the seal was of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the top corner. A letter of commendation stood out in bold, glowing text. Like the previous document, it also described Sunday's events, but in a much brighter light. Using ingenuity and quick deduction, locating her abducted liberty partner, rallied additional marines to assist her in her search, showed outstanding initiative, bold and assertive action. Utilizing every tool at her disposal, saved the life of a liberty partner and aggressively apprehended his alleged attempted murderer. Sergeant Bradford, intrepidly in the face of adversity, reflected great credit upon herself and in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Armed Forces, and she is to be forgiven the transgressions that she may have caused. Signed, Johnny K. Benkel, General U.S. Army, Chairman, Joint Chiefs of Staff. Bradford frowned at this new piece of paper, her brows knitting together. I'm feeling like I'm getting mixed signals on this, sir. Sergeant, the Marine Corps is people. Say again, sir? She looked up at him, hoping that he could provide some meaning to what he, she had just read. He folded his hands across the folder, rocking her eyes with his own. The Marine Corps is people. I know it as often seems like it, but the Marine Corps is not some cubic mile monolith in Washington, D.C. That periodically changes up to great potential and zaps an innocent, unsuspecting Marine. The Marine Corps is people. It is an institution of people, run by people, and people make mistakes. I am absolutely certain that the Gandalin Royal Host is exactly the same. He unfolded his hands. The thing about mistakes made by people is that people can also fix those mistakes. Which one is the mistake, sir? Looking down to glance between the papers, one in each hand. Sergeant, listen to me. She instinctively straightened her back to a ramrod, arms firmly at the armrests as she stared at the point just above Michael's head. Answered at ease, I want you to actually take in what I'm telling you. She relaxed and found her eyes locked with his once more. He gestured at the papers. 
Someone high up with enough clout to get my boss to order me to write that letter of reprimand. Doesn't like what you did and how you handled the situation with second artificer Yatan Sunday. He leaned back. And technically, they're not wrong. What you did was brash, reckless, insubordinate. Wildly exceeded any authority you have as a sergeant, and you caused major diplomatic incident in which you not only assaulted an Allied Commission officer, but put him in a coma for two days. He picked up another piece of paper. Multiple contusions, broken orbitals, shattered cheekbone, cranial swelling. He looked up at Bradford, whose shoulders sagged with each criticism. Her eyes dropped low, staring past her hands as they fidgeted with the papers. I could go on. He waved the paper at the world beyond this door. Not for two of your own marines physically dragging you off of him. You probably would have killed him. As it is, I'm pretty sure, if not for the magical healing bullcrap provided by Lord Sashaya, then the medical artificer the Kishman sent, he'd still be in a coma today. The paper dropped to his desk. But you also showed ingenuity, a laudable ability to rapidly assess the situation, and took swift, decisive action. You demonstrated the kind of initiative, boldness, determination, and fidelity that we could only hope to see in half of our marines. He leaned forward, meeting her eyes again, as she looked up. And you saved a yacht's life. You did what you needed to do to save the life of one of your men under your command, and whose knowledge, expertise, and combat ability are an invaluable asset to this battalion and the whole United States. If this were a combat scenario, I'd be putting a gold star in lieu of the second award onto your silver star, he said, pointing at her chest. He held her eyes for a moment, letting that sink in. And someone else high up, with as much or more clout, also sees that, and is willing to go to bat for you. He leaned back, eyes narrowed as he looked her up and down. Sergeant, I've seen marines like you before. I was a marine like you once, he sighed. If circumstances were different, I would strongly encourage you to pursue a commissioning program, go finish your degree on the cause dime, and come back as an officer. He shook his head. But the reality is that we're in the middle of a war, about to go on the offensive. And I need you where you're at. You're a damn good Marine, and it sounds like your squad will follow you anywhere. Most importantly, more reports I've been given indicate that you've earned a yet staunch loyalty and fidelity, even before you saved his life from his own former comrades. The Gandon Royal Host has only loaned us so many artifices, and we need every one of them focused and committed to working with the humans around them. He leaned forward again. But if we survive whatever the war turns out to be, I want you to pursue a commission. If you can step up to fill those shoes, I think you'd make an excellent officer. And we need more officers like that. I... She swallowed. I, I sir. I'll, I'll do that, sir. Good. He leaned back with a short sigh. You've made some enemies, Bradford, at home and in Ganlon. As soon as Anyo came around enough to be lucid, he demanded your head on a bike, kept screaming bloody murder at you and Iyant until the Duke walked in and told him to shut the fuck up. But you've got allies too. Both the Duke and Iyant's old commander recommended Anyo be brought up on murder charges. Now there are people at the top in Washington willing to stand up for people who do the right thing. He waved at her. Still... It's probably a good thing you'll be out at the tip of the spear, out of reach, and hopefully soon out of mind. 
She looked up at that. So we're moving out soon, sir. We're mustering the battalion to put out the word at 08 tomorrow. My sir. He closed the folder and sat back in the corner of his desk. Sergeant, you did good work on Sunday, but understand the only reason you're not facing a court-martial is because of what you did worked. He fixed her with an icy stare. Don't ever fucking do something like this again, he paused. Man, if you do, make damn fucking sure it works. Aye, aye, sir, she said, turning her back into a ramrod straight again. Dismissed, sergeant. Aye, aye, sir, she said, standing up and bracing at attention, before turning sharply and marching towards the door. And sergeant, Michael said, as her hand touched the doorknob. Yes, sir, she paused, looking over her shoulder. Your squad is going to be at the point of the spear. Get them ready. I expect them to be the first on the line. Aye, aye, sir. Carry on. Carry on, aye, sir, she said, opening the door and continuing through. She closed it behind her, tucked the folder containing two letters smartly under her left arm, and marched down the hallway. She had a job to do. Scratching behind his ear with the back of his pen, Rin frowned at the paper in front of him as he compared his Guyani script to the English words next to him. He had the phonetics down now, mostly, though many words still gave him trouble. Why do they have so many words that are spelled the same but sound different, or sound the same, or spelled and mean different? Not the Guyani is much better, in its own way. He sighed, rubbing his ears. He glanced back at Bradford's empty rack and pointedly tried to not look at the time. She'd be gone a while, in a dress uniform that someone had brought in for her. He tugged at her horn, then forced himself to turn back to his notebook, and couldn't do anything more to help her. And worrying, it's just going to have me start putting my fur. Hey, um, Shields? Rin looked up to see Goma standing next to his rack, his hands fidgeting with each other in front of him. Yes, uh, do you need something? Uh, I was wondering if you could help me out a bit later. Setting his pen down on the notepad in his lap, Rin straightened and leaned back a little to better look up at the large human. What do you need help with? Well, uh, you see, uh, I was, uh, I was helping if you could help me learn how to write a bit of uh, your language. He glanced away, fidgeting even more, and, uh, maybe help me, me write a letter. Rin tilted his head, ears cocked to the side. Who do you want to write a letter to? Well, um, uh, you see... Gomez brought his hands up, scratching the back of his head, then moving down to rub the back of his neck. I, uh, I met this girl back back when we were in town. She's a very nice lady, and, um, she told me I could write to her, and she'd write me back. Rin's ears slowly swung up. And he had to suppress a smirk. I see, and, uh, did she tell you how to write to her? Oh, yeah, Gomez said, reaching into a pocket to pull out a folded piece of parchment. He carefully unfolded it and showed it to Rin. Taking the paper, he caught a whiff of exotic perfumes as he had a flowing script. It was ornate, but also a clear and consistent hand. He read the name and the address. Um, Gomez... Sashi isn't common as a given name. It's frequently used in a, um, a certain industry, such as this establishment. He tilted the paper for emphasis before handing it back. Oh, 
I, I know, Gomez said, scratching the back of his head again, as he turned a deep red. That, uh, that's uh, how we met. Her real name is Sala. She told you her real name? Rin told his head down, looking up at him and wishing he had a pair of spectacles to look over to complete the effect. Uh, uh-huh, Gomez said, smiling a bit, as he looked off into the past. We spent, spent most of the day together. I see, he sighed, suppressing a chuckle. Well, I can't say fear I will be the best of tutors, as I'm still learning my letters in your language myself, but I'll give you what help I'm able. Uh, thanks, Shields, Gomez gave him a bright smile. I, I have to sit down with you later, though. Kowalski's got me checking all mine and his gear again. Ren quirked in here. That sounds, uh, uncharacteristically responsible of him. What's going on? Gomez shrugged. Don't know, but Ski said something was up. Wanted to make sure that all of our crap was good in case crap hit the fan. Showing his notebook in his pack, Ren stood up and looked around for Kowalski, just as the man walked into the bunk room. Something's definitely up, guys, he said, clapping his hands. What's up? Edison asked, looking up from the new GoPro that he was fiddling with. It had just been delivered that day. No, no, but Scuttlebutt is that something is happening. Always is a chaotic last effect of dump everything through the portal. So a lot of crap's happening. But this is something else, he shook his head. Crap's getting packed up and moved around. Ordnance and gear is getting staged. And they're not getting moved and restaged somewhere else. Something's up. Something's about to go down, and either ain't nobody actually knows what it is, or they're all keeping damn quiet about it. Are we moving out? Kimber asked, sitting up in his rack. No, no, Kowalski shrugged. Looks like somebody is getting ready for a big op, but logistics are so fecked, I can't tell who it's supposed to be. Not sure if anyone actually knows who it's supposed to be. So, uh, Davy said, laying back on his bank. If we're moving out, they'll tell us to get our crap ready. Lound around if you want, but I ain't getting caught with my pants around my ankles. Kowalski turned away from Davies. Gomez, report status of checking our gear. In progress, boss. In progress, my fucking ass. I've thrown that report at sirs and sergeants more times than you've shit. And every time it means you ain't fucking started yet. Kowalski's spirations were interrupted by Dubois walking through the door. A familiar marine loaded with gear followed behind him. All right, everyone, listen up. The room fell silent as the rest of the squad turned and sat to look at him. This is Lance Corporal Santelli. We all briefly met him on Sunday, but I don't think anyone really did any proper introductions. As of today, Santelli is officially a part of Second Squad. Whose fire team is he in? Davies asked. That uh, isn't clear, Tobias said. Normally, Sergeant Bradford or Staff Sergeant Rickles would make the assignment, but they're, uh, he frowned. They're both occupied at the moment. He's definitely a part of my fire team then, Kowalski said. He waved at an empty rack near Gomez. You can drop your gear there. Gomez will help check that you've got everything. What? No, my team's shorthanded too, Davies said, standing up. Yeah, but Jabs' promotion came through before the whole war kicked off, so her replacement burst up in line. Colson's replacement will be coming down next. It's all by timological order, Kowalski smirked at Davies. Run could practically hear the unspoken challenge for Davies to point out that, by logic, Centelli should technically be in Davies' fire team as his replacement. Davies glared at Kowalski. 
We'll see if Jabs and Staff Sergeant have to say. In the meantime, drop your crap. Goma will help you out, Kowalski said, waving at the empty rack again. Goma, help the new guy with his gear. Aye, aye, Corporal. And stop using my goddamn slave name. Go fecking boot. Those guys are fucking whack, bro, Centelli said, shaking his head as he walked over to the empty rack and started dropping his gear. Dubois followed him, giving him a hand. So you're going around the room for proper introductions. This is Gomez, he waved at the big marine. He's a dumb boot fresh from infantry school, so you got to watch out for him a bit. But he's already been in two major fights, and he's good under fire. Gomez shrugged. So what I signed up for? Dubois continued around the room, introducing each squad member in turn. And finally, we have our very own real-life wizard, second artificer Rinayat. We call him Shields. Rin nodded his head. Nice to meet you, Lance Corporal. Fuck did he just say, Zentelli said. Oh, crap. You can't understand him, can you? Dubois frowned, bringing a hand up to rub his forehead. Use all can. Yeah. One of the artificers cast a mass translation spell at Williams when we first showed up there. Dubois sighed. I guess you weren't in range when it went off. You talking about day one? Zentelli shook his head. Nah. B, I was uh, stateside. I only came through Poro like a, a week ago. Well, this is going to get awkward, Edison said. Not all of our replacements are not going to be able to understand shields. Scuttlebutt, is they're working on it, Kowalski said. The Ganon types are supposed to be getting another spell thing ready for us. About fucking time, Davies said, rolling his eyes. Four fucking weeks and I've only been able to understand this knee singing fucking cadence. Huh? That, that's whack, bro, said Teddy paused on his walk back to his new bait. Wait, you guys still sing fecking cadence. You're talking like PT and crap, right? No, Edison sighed. We form up and march in cadence as a company, mostly on the way to and from PT, but not always. It's an echo company thing, Dubois said. Yeah, first sergeant's got a hard-on for the cadence and formation drill, Kowalski shook his head, and Captain Spader lets him do it. Because first sergeant's got him convinced it makes the company look good. That's fecking crusty as feck, said Daddy grimaced. Ugh. It ain't too bad, Kimber said. We don't march into combat. You shut your fecking mouth before the goddamn first sergeant hears you, you fuck. Pagolski snapped. Don't go giving him any fecking bright ideas. Oh crap, my bad, Kimber said, glancing around as if Catry was about to pop out of the woodwork. Fecking whack, bro. Said Teddy muttered as he started sorting through his packs. The outer door swung open, then slammed shut as someone strode down the hall. Rin's ears perked up as Bradford marched into the bunk room. Second squad! She shouted, without a trace of fear or despair that he'd seen in her that morning. She tucked her cover and the folder under her arm as she surveyed the room. Once again, her bold, confident stealth. Start packing it up. Dubois, Davies, Kowalski. Get everyone packed up for combat. Load out. Anything we're not carrying out into the field gets packed up separate. Tag it with the names and units. Edison, I also need you to check all of our electronics. Make sure that we've got plenty of batteries. Samson, double check your radio gear and do all full comms test. Elder, grab Gomez and do some ammo count. I want double loads for everyone and any extra rounds that we can carry. What's going on, Jabs? Kowalski stepped towards the door as the rest of the squad started scrambling off their bunks, pulling out gear. Official words coming down tomorrow, but training days are over. We're going back to war. Fuck yeah! 
Kowalski whooped as most of the squad cheered. The battalion's mustering at 08 tomorrow morning. Second squad's going to be at the point of the spear. Our Colonel Michaels expects us to be the first on the line. I want everyone backed up, geared up, and ready to roll by 07. She strode across the room to her own bunk, undoing her uniform as she went. Kowalski, if we're missing anything we need, or anything we'll want in the field, you've got tonight to get it. I don't care how. Aye, aye, Sergeant. Rin began piling his own gear on his rack, sorting out what he needed and wanted on the march, and what he could leave behind. He looked up as Bradford reached her rack, and her eyes met. This close, he could see that she was tired and had suffered an ordeal, but there was a fire in her eyes that warned him. When she smiled, he knew there was nothing that would stand in their way. Medallion! Attend! Ha! Bradford snapped to attention her squad in formation behind her. It was later night than any of them would have liked, but she was confident that they would be ready to go. And so was the rest of the battalion. Second squad being ready on the line isn't as good if the rest of the two-five isn't ready. She had quietly spread the word to the other squad leaders in Echo Company and then the rest of the battalion, making sure they all knew they needed to get her ready and to go back into the field. After ensuring Second Squad and Echo Company were going to be ready first, of course. Michaels walked up to the front of the formation with General Langstorm on his heels. They both returned the Sergeant Major salute, stepping out in front of the battalion. Then Lieutenant Colonel yielded the four to Langstrom. The combatant commander of the United States Gala Command placed his hands on his hips, surveying the battalion. Marines! His voice carried across the grinder with the power and trained public speaker. You have worked hard over the last four weeks, blazing a path for the integration of U.S. and Ganlin troops. Of all that, you proved yourselves in the only two significant engagements of the war so far. I'm afraid the reward for a job well done is another job. I would love to give you time off, time with your friends and families, but we're at war, and it is time that we took the fight to the enemy. Hoorah! Hoorah! Thundered back. Second Battalion is the only unit we have that has integrated artificer support. There are more coming, but Gannon only has so many to lend us. This means that you will be at the very tip of the spear as we move into the next phase of Operation Bulldog. Tomorrow morning, the whole of 1st Marine Division is going on the offensive, but 2nd Battalion is arriving out first. 2-5 led the way in this war, and now you'll be leading the way, driving these Keebler bastards out of the Kingdom of Gandlin and back to whatever goddamn hole they crawled out of. Hoorah! Hoorah! Your mission is to use the advantage of our mechanized and airlift-capable forces to drive a wedge deep into enemy territory, setting up a string of FOBs and a solid corridor to advance for our main forces and the Gandon Royal Host to sweep through and retake their country. These bastards thought that they could pick a fight with us. You kicked their ass on day we stepped into this war. Now it is time to go kick their asses again. Hoorah! Hoorah! Outstanding! Second Battalion launches off at 1000 tomorrow morning, with the rest of the 1st Marine Division rolling out tomorrow afternoon. The Gannon are sending off another translation spell at 1500 today, this one updated by the best linguist that we could bring in on both sides. 
This one's a shorter range to save mana, so you're sure you're within the base and on the side of the portal. We don't know yet how the spells will propagate through it. Good luck, Marines. Go kick some Kibler ass. Tamperfy. Langstrom turned to Michaels, returning his salute as he passed the floor back to them, and then turned and walked away. Company commanders briefing at 0900, Michaels shouted. Platoon and squad briefings at 10.30. If there's anything that you need to go mobile tomorrow morning, I need to know it by noon today. Let's go to war! He turned to Baracus. Carry on, Sergeant Major, he said in a much lower voice, exchanging salutes. Carry on, aye, sir. Baracus said and then turned back to the battalion as Michaels walked away. Battalion! Let's make sure the general remembers who we are, and damn, Kibblers hear us in whatever godforsaken hole they crawled into. Retreat, hell, two five, retreat, hell, dismissed. You're not coming with us, my lord, Red asked, stepping away from the Humvee we was about to load into. No, Zayesh said, standing before Run with no pack or armor. I shall be staying behind. I will be working with Duke Yusha and Second Artificer Yenyed to be the foundation of the new Joint Tactics Training Program, he grinned. And more importantly, I'll be working with the human doctors applying their knowledge of medicine to our healing arts. His grin of excitement turned into one of wonder. The lives that could be saved on both sides of the portal. He smiled off into the distance. I never would have expected to find it as a lion artificer in the host, but I think I've found my true calling. He looked back at Run. I've already spoken to his grace, and when the operations here are no longer require my presence, he will grant me leave to study human medicine at one of their universities. Run couldn't help but return the smile. That's wonderful news, my lord. I wish you the joy of it. And you, second artificer, Sayash said, extending his arm to shake hands as equals. It's been a pleasure and an honor, and I look forward to hearing of your accomplishments. If we survive this war, and it is looking more likely every day, I'd be happy to give you my endorsement. You honor me, my lord, Ren said, returning the handshake in the gandlin way. You honor yourself, second artificer. He glanced at Bradford as she approached. May the gods above light your path, and the gods below fear your tread. Bradford opened the front of the passenger door of the Humvee, stepping onto the runner and slapping the roof. Second squad, mount up! She ducked down into the seat, pulling the door shut behind her. Gomez clambered in back and up into the turret to man the Marduce. Kowalski followed him, shutting the door behind him. Climbing in after Miller, Brun was able to secure the other door's seat. Tucking the butt of his staff between his feet, he yanked on the door, slamming it shut and tapped the back of the driver's seat. All aboard! The motor roared to life, joining the rumble of the vehicles around them as they started up. Bradford looked over her shoulder, giving him a smile. Let's go kick some Keebler ass! End of chapter. End of act three. The algorithm reckons you should be watching this video next, and I recommend that you should be always watching my video. So, click and click. With energy! And yes, clicking that does help the channel. Thank you very much. I just want to give a quick thanks to the tier 5 patrons and channel members. Alithia, Barky, Feudic Yol, Cam Maxwell, Casper Onholtz, White Band 420, Lord Astrakal, Arcalian, and Oakfield.